Before I was uh, saved, uh, I was 19 when I came to the Lord, I had a, a pretty good experience with sin. I had a long history of sin, and then when I came to Jesus Christ, uh, I sinned no more. That's not true. I, before I became a Christian, I needed forgiveness of sins. After I became a Christian, I still needed forgiveness of sin. I think we all have that experience, that knowledge, that background, that history of needing victory over sin, being delivered, being rescued, being pardoned from sin. How do, you, how do we go about that? How does that come to us? How do, how do we find salvation, forgiveness of sins? How do we receive pardon? Forgiveness of sins comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you been forgiven? Have you been pardoned? Have you been made holy before the Lord? Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. In weeks past, we've looked at the, the journey of Paul and Barnabas. Remember last week, Barnabas and Paul were sent out on the first missionary journey a journey that changed the world, that started a process, worldwide evangelism, worldwide planting of churches is, is a big deal. They, they went to Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean. They met a sorcerer there. They overcame. The proconsul came to the Lord. It was a big deal. But they moved on from there. Look at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. We'll stop there for a moment. So they, uh, they leave with Barnabas as the leader. And their experience in Cyprus with the, the overcoming of the magician Limus. Paul becomes the leader. He steps into his apostleship. It's a big moment in the book of Acts because this, this, this time in the Acts 13 is where Saul becomes Paul, where he becomes the leader of the missionary journey and, and really uh, vastly influences the church from, from here, here forward. Uh, they, they, they go to places we've never heard of before. They, they leave from Paphos on the, the west side of Cyprus, and they, they head to a place called Perga, modern-day Turkey, kind of uh, right in the center of modern-day Turkey, just on the coast. It's about 10 or 12 miles up the coast. It's a tropical kind of environment. If you read through the book of Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he, when he first arrived in this region, he was sick. And some people think he got malaria. Some people think he got, he got just really sick from... That, that mosquito bite. They don't know for sure. But, but they left from Perga. Uh, they, they went to a place called uh, Antioch in Pisidia. Pisidia. Pisidia and Antioch. Uh, have you noticed that throughout Acts there's a lot of Antiochs? Well, one of the Roman emperors, Seleucus I, he named a lot of different towns and cities after his father, Antiochus. There's a lot of Antiochs. This one is right in the center of Turkey. Uh, they, 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 we think that they went up into the highlands, the, the place to escape the heat, 
and up in the mountains, Pisidia and Antioch. It's southern Galatia. So we think Paul's letter to the Galatians, the first one he wrote, probably hit these people at a later time after we returned from the first missionary journey. We think they went up in the highlands. Uh, they, they, they went on an old Roman uh, uh, road, uh, a warrior's road, an a army road via Augusta, and they arrived in Pisidia in Antioch. And they get there, and, you know, he's, he's probably sick, but they go to the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, they go into the synagogue, as was their custom, began their custom. And somebody asked him, hey, do you want to preach? Do you want to share a message of encouragement with the brethren? So there's a lot of Jews gathered, a lot of Jewish men gathered, and some God-fearing Gentiles. And Paul said, sure. What did he say? He spoke on forgiveness of sins. He spoke on salvation. Do you need salvation today? Do you need forgiveness of sins today? Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 16, so Paul stood up, motioning with his hand. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. So he's given kind of a historical review. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of Egypt. It was about 40 years. He, uh, 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. Remember their wilderness wanderings, their sin, their, their lack of obedience, their lack of faith. And after destroying seven nations, seven wicked, evil nations, I might add, brought judgment upon them, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, maybe 400 years in, in Egypt, you know, 40 years wandering in a desert, maybe 10 years in the land. That's Maybe how Paul's added up. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he, had when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. As John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. In other words, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Christ. No, but behold, after me is, is one is coming, the sandals of whom, whose feet I am not worthy to untie. You know, a, a tying, untying the sandals of someone's feet was a slave's job, a servant's job. And John said, this one who's coming, he's so great, I'm not even qualified to be a slave. How awesome this one who is coming is. I can't even measure up to him. And so we, we, we stop there and we, we see that uh, Paul is saying to the Jewish people in the synagogue, hey, you know your history. You know all the saviors that have been sent through the centuries to save you. Remember Abraham and Moses. Remember, remember Joshua. Remember the, the Samuel when, when he arose, the, the judges before him, all the deliverers, all the judges, all the rescuers, all the saviors that came about. You, you called for a king. God gave you a savior in Saul to rescue you from the Philistines. And, and when he fell apart, God rose up David. Man, and, and in David, the kingdom blossomed. And in David, the kingdom, wow, it, it, from Euphrates all the way down to Egypt, a huge swath of land David ruled over. He rescued you from your enemies again and again, even though you didn't deserve it. Uh, again, Luke's, Luke's giving us a summarized version of, of Paul's sermon. So you can imagine his, an expanded version how long it would go. Uh, he's, he's saying, 
saviors have been delivered to you again and again. You've been rescued again and again. But let me tell you now about the final Savior, the greatest Savior, the the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. He's been sent for you. And you've heard the stories of John the Baptist coming. He's the Elijah who was to come if you will have it. He's the one who was sent as a forerunner from the prophet Isaiah. Make straight the paths for the Lord. Every valley will be lifted up. Every hill will be made low for the coming of the King. You can imagine John the Baptist preaching and his voice echoing through the canyon of the Jordan River Valley. And so we, we come to this place in the middle of nowhere, in the boondocks, Pisidian Antioch. And he's preaching about how to be saved, how to be forgiven of sins, how to be rescued. And he, he gives Israel this history that God has been so faithful to you through the centuries Through the centuries, he's sent saviors again and again. But now, the time is right. The fulfillment has come. All the promises to David. Remember the promises to David? Right? When when David wanted to build that great temple for the Lord, and and God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. You've been a warrior. Your son's going to build it. But I'm going to give you an eternal house after you're gone an eternal kingdom, and you'll have an eternal king to sit on a throne, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the promises to David, Paul says, he's bringing it to these people. Again, people not in the high intellectual you know, uh, ivory tower place, in the center of the world, in the high places of the world, the governments of the world, but in the middle of nowhere. He's saying, this Christ has come for you. I bring you a message of salvation for you. A message of encouragement is what the the synagogue leaders wanted him to bring. They had no idea the message of salvation he was going to speak to them on this day. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among who you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled, by, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him not guilt, no, him not guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written against him, they took, took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up from him, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Is it also written in the second psalm? So he's given a historical statement of what ha- what's happened. A death, a resurrection. And he's, now he's saying, look at the scriptures and see what they say. It says in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The Jewish people looked at that as an enthronement psalm, the anointed one being lifted up, and in the context of resurrection, truly raised up, exalted. And as for this fact, verse 34, he has raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. So again, the promises of an eternal throne belong to Jesus Christ. The promises of a kingdom of God 
is in the king, reigning over the kingdom of God forever, belong to Jesus Christ. He's come, he's reigning, he's ruling. Paul is saying it's happening now. Therefore, he says to those in, in another song, psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of, his, of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Uh, it, it's, it's a big statement that, that he's making. <clears throat> Brothers who are sinners. Brothers who are broken have a lot of guilt. Sisters who have skeletons in your closet, who have hidden things away that you think no one will ever find, hopefully you sweep things under the rug, still feeling guilty and feeling full of shame. It's same generation to generation from Turkish people long ago to Americans today. We are a people of guilt. We're people of sin. We're people who've done what's wrong. And as a result, we are separated from God. We're condemned by God. We will face the judgment of our sins unless something happens, unless we're forgiven. So Paul brings the message to the Antiochians that a Savior has come. He died according to God's set for, for plan and for purpose. God's set for knowledge brought about God's Son to the earth. Brought about a man to Israel who grew up in a home of simple people. He grew, grew to a man. He, he went to Jerusalem. He was arrested. He was tortured. He was crucified. He died on a tree a Roman cross. But he rose from the dead. He's alive. He is exalted. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you trust in him. Uh, Luke, as he reports Paul's sermon, he doesn't mention the atonement. It's an interesting fact of the book of Acts Almost nowhere does Luke describe the purpose of the death of Jesus Christ. He maybe assumes that everybody knows about it, I'm not sure, but he doesn't talk about the purpose. But what's really clear here is that all the scriptures pointed to the death of Jesus. In the scriptures, he died on the third day, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he raised from the dead on the third day, he died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He raised on the third day according to the scriptures, Paul says in Corinthians. By God's purpose. But it doesn't say why he had to die. But there's a hint here in verse 29 that there, there's, there's a hint about him being hung on a tree. And when they carried out all that was written on him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. That's, that's fascinating language because in the Old Testament it talked about somebody being cursed if they're hung on a tree. 
end, the book of Galatians, again, we thank this first book that Paul wrote after the first missionary journey that was sent to these people. It says this in Galatians chapter 3. If you, if you turn there with me, I don't have it on the, on the slides, but uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The hint that Luke gives us from Paul's sermon, when Jesus died by being crucified, by being hung on pieces of wood, a, a tree, he became God's curse in your place. You see, every one of your sins has broken the law. Every one of your sins has fallen short of God's holy standard. Every one of your sins and every one of my sins has brought about judgment, a curse upon myself. And unless that judgment, unless that curse is forgiven, removed, I'm going to die in my sins. And so will you. But it says in Galatians here, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? He purchased us from the curse of the law. He rescued us from the curse of the law. He delivered us from the curse of the law. The judgment that is ours. The wrath of God against our sins. He saved us. By what does it say? By becoming a curse for us. The Old Testament says, curse is everyone who's hung on a tree. He became my sin bearer. He became your sin bearer. He took that place on the cross, bearing all of my sins and all of your sins, so that when you trust in Him, you don't have to face the judgment anymore because Jesus has already died in judgment in your place. The wrath of God poured out on Him. The judgment of God judging criminal Jesus, even though He's innocent, but He has all our sins upon Him, paid in full. Praise God. And so back in Acts, Paul is saying, he died according to the scriptures. He died just what was planned. The Jewish people didn't recognize it in Jerusalem. They, they read those scriptures every Sabbath. They, they, they know him backwards and forwards, but they didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't understand that he was the Savior. He was the Messiah. So they buried him, but he rose from the dead. God brought him forth from the grave. Validation that his payment for your sin was paid in full. If he stayed in the grave, we think, well, maybe he paid for my sin. Maybe he died in my place. But because he rose from the dead, it's proof and, and evidence that God accepted his sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice, his propitiatory sacrifice in our place. So by trusting in Jesus, you and I can be forgiven. Of all the things you haven't been forgiven before. Everything. Good news, amen? amen? Acts 13, verse 38. The preacher always brings the sermon to a close, thankfully. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than it should. Thank that the preacher always comes to a conclusion. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, 
that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if no one tells it to you. Stop there. What a great message, what a great salvation, what a great rescue. Forgiveness of sins comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins comes through belief in Jesus Christ. And it says here, justification comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification comes through belief in Jesus Christ. Being set free. Free from what? Free from guilt. Free from shame. Free from the condemnation of unrighteousness. We can all be forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. There's several ways we can talk about justification. What, what does it mean? What are you saying? Forgiveness. I don't understand. If I'm guilty of a crime, how can someone else take my place? How can someone else save me? How can someone else? Justification is this great doctrine that we sometimes run across, especially in Paul, Paul's epistles. It's a, uh, the opposite of, of justification is condemnation. When you've been justified, when God says you're justified, you're no longer condemned. Justification is, in God's mind, his statement of your righteousness, his declaration that you are righteous in his sight now, that you're no longer unrighteous, you're no longer guilty. You've been set free. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's an old illustration that uh, maybe it'd be helpful for you to understand. Imagine this is you. This outstretched palm is you. Uh, you know, over life... You know, you start accumulating sin and you're accumulating debt and you're accumulating all kinds of evil. Imagine this book. Let's pull this off my shelf. Imagine this is the list of all your sins, everything you've done. Imagine this is you with all your sins. Uh, I probably have more sins than you, but we all have a lot, don't we? All the things we've done and all the things we've, we've hated and all the the thoughts we've had about people and the things we've said about people and, or we've, we've been mean towards people or we've done evil things. Man, imagine that, that list of sins that, that's on me. Um, but when, when we hear the gospel and when we hear that there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, when we hear that we can be justified, declared righteous, when we place our faith in Jesus, imagine this is Jesus, right? Free from sin. God, God has to love him. He has to receive him because he's free from sin. He's, he's righteous and he's holy. But when Jesus went to the cross, all of my sins placed upon him. And Jesus died in my place. Jesus took the wrath of God against my sins. God hates sin. And all my sins were placed on Jesus and Jesus died. My sins imputed to Jesus. My sins turned over to Jesus, and he was crucified for me, paying the price on the cross. But more than that, if you can imagine another book, Jesus living a righteous, holy life, 
He never sinned. He, maybe this is the list of all the good he's done, all the righteous things he's done, all the, all the great things he's done, all the holy things he's done. He's holy. He's pure. Not only when I trust in him is my sins imputed to him, and he died on the cross, but when I trust in him, all his holiness, all his righteousness imputed to me. I'm not only forgiven, but I've been declared righteous in the sight of God. Because now I have the imputed righteousness of Christ in my life, free forever, through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be set free from your sins by trusting in Jesus Christ. If you're watching at home, you can be set free from your sins by trusting in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, justification and forgiveness, similar words, and they're, they're very uh, tight together in, in several of their meanings overlap. But forgiveness of sins, it's, it's a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing and a tremendous thing that we all want and that we all need. You perhaps, uh, maybe in your life at some point, you, you have gone through a certain period of your time, maybe in a relationship with somebody or maybe something you've done against somebody, or, or maybe, as, as you know, that, that term skeleton in your closet, you still are unforgiven. And that weight of sin and that weight, the burden of guilt and shame, it just follows you around and you can't get rid of it. And Satan uses it against you to accuse you and tell you that you're a loser and that God doesn't want you and all, all that garbage that comes with it. You need to be forgiven. Forgiveness of sins means the debt is canceled. When you're forgiven of your sins, it means that there's no more record of your wrongs. It's a wonderful thing. And, and scripturally, uh, there, there's a lot of, of ways to talk about it. My, my favorite, I think, is in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you can put your name in here. Colossians 2, chapter, chapter 13. And, and Jeron... And this is for us as Christians, even. In Jeron, you were dead in your, in your trespasses and uncircumcision in your flesh. You know what it means when it says you're dead? It's really a word, condemnation. Put condemnation in there. Jeron, you were condemned because of all the ways you lived. You're condemned in God's sight. The, 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 the court of heaven has condemned you, Jeron, because of your sins and because of your carnal nature, your, your fleshly desires the lust of your heart, the way that, that you uh, always want stuff for yourself. You, drawn, were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside nailing it to the cross. Forgiven! Uh, he uses a couple of word pictures to describe it. By canceling the record of your debt. Imagine, imagine uh, all, of, all of your debt, all of the, the, the things you owe God. You know, we owe God righteousness. We owe God holiness. We owe God, uh, the, he's, he's the creator. We're the creation. We owe him to live a good life. We owe him to be just people and, and good people and loving people, but we're not. And so we have all this debt, all this sin in our life kind of deal. Right? It's, it's, it's just incredible to think about. But this, this, this picture here, 
by canceling the record of the debt. Imagine that this was written in, in, in erasable ink. And so when you trusted in Jesus, it's like all these words on the page about our sins, suddenly they all disappear. Wiped clean. In Jesus Christ, all of our debt is canceled. It's wiped clean. It's no longer there anymore by the grace of God. And the, the next word picture he uses here, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us in its legal demands, he set aside nailing it to the cross. The IOU. We owe God so much. Like, if, if, if our sin was, was money, I owe you $50 billion, God. I owe you because I've fallen short again and again. I owe you, God. My sins are scarlet. I, I, it's, they're so huge and they're so vast and I'm so guilty. But Jesus took that IOU and when he died on the cross, he rose again, it was like he was nailing it to the cross. Paid in full. Forgiven. Praise God. There's a doctor that served an old mining community. Um, my brother just moved to a mining community in Virginia, and all, all the coal miners are out of work right now. So this kind of story resonates a little bit. This, this, this doctor in this, this, this mining community, he, uh, he had a lot of patients that couldn't pay. And so he'd, the, the patients that couldn't pay their bills, he'd take his ledger and he'd write in the ledger, uh, canceled, next to their debt. Well, after he died, several years after, his, after he died, his, uh, his widow took all those old clients to court trying to recover the debt. Uh, she, she said to the judge, you know, they, they need to pay what they owe. But the judge, judge's verdict was, if your husband wrote canceled next to the debt, it's canceled. It can never be recovered. It can never be claimed again. And in Jesus Christ, next to your name, when you trust in Him, when you put your life in His hands, when you depend on Him as your Savior, your debt is paid in full. It's like by your name has been written all your debt canceled. Set free in Jesus Christ. No more debt to pay. Praise God for the forgiveness of sins. And so you can keep reading in Acts. You can see how several of those folks came to the Lord, how they, they turned to Jesus to be saved. But what about you? Have you trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of sins? The things that you've hidden, the things that nobody knows about, the, 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 the wickedness that is pulling you down. And, and Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you given Him your life? Do so today. Believe in Jesus the sin bearer, the canceller of your debt, the nailer, nailer of your debt to the cross, the wrath bearer of your sins. Trust in Him for forgiveness of sins. And you will be saved. Praise be to the Lord Jesus. Would you please stand in His presence today? If you would like to talk more during the week, give me a call. If you'd like to walk through how to be saved, maybe text me this week. Or maybe one of the deacons after the service would be up front here to meet with you. But don't be unforgiven. Don't be lost, full of sin. Be forgiven in Jesus' name. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great day of worship. We've been pleased to come into your presence and privileged to come and meet with you. What an awesome thing that we can approach you, Lord, that we can come into your presence because we've been forgiven, cleansed, made right in your sight. We, uh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for letting us gather as a body of Christ. Thank you for letting us encourage one another and love one another and letting us gather with you to sing your praises and, and proclaim your victory. <laughs> you are so great, Lord. We love you so much. And send us out in the world, Lord, with the message of the gospel. Send us out in the world, Lord, to, to love you and to love others. Send us out in the world, Lord, to make much of you this week. You're so worthy, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.